Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. It is Wednesday, July 11th. I'm Conor Guerra. He is Chris Marler. We are a week away from SEC Media Days. So we're going to talk some SEC Media Days preview content, um, what all the big storylines are going to be, which you guys probably know, guys and girls, you guys probably know a decent amount of them. Um, But we're going to get into that stuff anyways. We're going to talk a little bit of hot seat season. We got some stuff about Jake Fromm because, of course, he got injured (laughs) right after we recorded last week because what else? Well, I mean, that's just par for the course. To be fair, it was July 4th on Wednesday. It was. It was America's birthday, and Jake Fromm felt like ruining America's birthday. No, I'm kidding. Um, but news that did not come out after we recorded, Terrell Lewis, Alabama linebacker, very promising Alabama linebacker, is out for the season. We believe he's got a torn ACL. And the Will Muschamp school of thought, he'll be back by like week four. Um, but for the rest he'll be of back us, in August, yeah. For the rest of us, we're assuming that this is going to be a season ender or very, very close to it. To be fair, I've been watching the World Cup, and it seems like every three and a half minutes somebody tears their ACL, but then gets right back up. This is true. I mean, hopefully something like that will happen. Maybe we send them to Brazil, Italy. They got something in the water down there. Yeah, I'm I'm not happy about this, obviously, as a Bama fan. But in general, like we talked about this earlier in the week, I was filling out my preseason ballot, and I left them off because I didn't want to be too far out there. But I really feel like this was going to be like a breakout season for him. If you remember, he's the one that on the same play with Christian Miller last year against FSU, dislocated an elbow or tore like a bicep tendon and was out for 10 games throughout the year. He's also the one that had like the big sack in overtime against Georgia. Like he is a really, I think a really good player. He's a physical freak. So it just sucks to see that, you know, that would happen preseason. I screenshotted that picture of him when he was out on Saban's boat. Um, oh my goodness. You think Saban did it? Because <laughs> he was talking all that trash about the boat? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because everybody was talking trash about the boat. And <laughs> Lewis was obviously one of the guys who was doing the, uh, this, the, like, I can't believe we're stranded on a boat. Right. That video. So maybe that's a little, that's a deep conspiracy theory. I'm going to go. You heard it here first. I'm going to go with the fact that I think Saban wanted to have a guy who looked that physically ready. Yeah. Um, that's an NFL body. I mean, that that yeah. is an absolute beast of a human being and he was poised to do some big things this year we saw what he could do against really good competition last year comes back in the postseason has those little flashes and then oh man you just can't get him on the field right i think one of the most impressive things i've not just from him but that i've seen recently in the past couple years was in the spring game two years ago he came off the edge and shock shock errant throw but he was he was blitzing and in the middle of his blitz got his hands up and picked off a pass from, like, I don't know, three yards away, and then just ran it in, like, just, you know, with ease, 40 yards for a touchdown. He's he could have done that every single game. He could have. Yeah, he, he absolutely could have, of course. Uh, that's just kind of par for the course for, for Alabama linebackers, but suddenly you're looking at a situation where uh, Alabama linebacker depth not too great right now. What is happening? Yeah, so Vandarius Cowart obviously kicked off the team because of a fight. On Monday, and then um, this happens, we're recording this on Tuesday. So basically, right. back-to-back days, Alabama loses what figures to be key yeah. contributors at the linebacker position. Moving forward, they're on pace to lose at least a linebacker. Like They're, they're going to be out of linebackers before next week. Yeah, But, but no, like, looking back in the last season, Dylan Moses yep. missed like, the rest of the year. Anthony Jennings. Um, Sean Deion Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, whole year. Mac Wilson. Um, he missed four games. Rashawn Evans. Like, every single linebacker we had, except for Keith Holcomb, which I think... A lot of Bama fans were hoping he would have 
been on the sidelines a little bit. This is why you have depth, though, and this is why Saban has been able to not necessarily uh, skip a beat. He's going to have to answer a lot of questions about this at SEC Media Days next week. Of course, the the depth is going to be a big topic of conversation now. And, oh, maybe one or two people ask him about the quarterback situation. Just, just kind of a thought. That. Yeah, we're going to be there in Atlanta. We're actually recording two podcasts, I believe. That's, that's the yeah. Point. So that's going to be really exciting. Look out for that. We will be asking Nick Saban all of the great questions. I'm only asking him about oatmeal cream pies and the quarterback situation. Well, oatmeal cream pies, there's not really much to ask about. It's pretty much an open and shut deal. Softball, I'm going to open the door, just kind of ease into it, and then I'm going to hit him with the hard stuff. Like, who's going to start? And then I'm going to say Mac Jones, and then whoever the backup is after him. Or me. Will Nick Saban have oatmeal cream pies in Atlanta? I'm going to bring him some, so yeah. To share with the media. (laughs) He doesn't share, no. Uh, no, he doesn't. But we will be there, and inevitably that's going to be one of the big topics of conversation. Saban has been doing it all offseason. He's been, he's been he's better at this than, than all of us are yeah. uh, answering questions, and no doubt he'll be able to avoid that topic of conversation. We don't know uh, by the time that we're recording this who's going to be at SEC Media Days from a player perspective. I'd be very, very, very surprised if either Alabama quarterback was there <laughs> in all likelihood. It would be awesome. Like, you know what? If, if Saban just like was like, you know what? Screw it. My three players, Tua, Jalen, Mac Jones. Let's do it. Man, that would be electric. Incredible. I would look forward to it. They're just going to arm wrestle on stage for whoever gets the starting quarterback position. Instead, it's going to end up being Damian Harris and a couple of Alabama offensive linemen. I swear to you, if it's two offensive linemen, I'd be pretty upset. But I know. Who are you hoping to to see most? Well, Future Us is going to know this answer, I think. So no spoiler alert um, for for us in the past. Um, But I'd be surprised. Like I said, I think it's Damian Harris. I think you're looking... Jonah Williams, and then uh, yeah, I don't know. Pierce Bocker? probably Pierce Bocker would be the last one. But from from the SEC in general, like who who are you looking forward to is like Stidham. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to Stidham. I think that's going to be a, an interesting person to talk to now, uh, considering he is kind of the man. Um, not just at Auburn, but nationally, he's one of the household names now, and I'm curious to see how he handles this bigger profile because I think he's going to have one of those massive crowds surrounding him um and then you know nick fitzgerald is a character that a lot of people in the sec have have really learned to appreciate if you follow him on social media i think he's a pretty good follow he's a pretty honest guy he'll call people out if he thinks he's not getting respect and i mean uh he's he's i think he'll be uh, a decent person to talk to just in terms of not getting all the canned stuff and he wants some guys who are willing to kind of go outside the, their comfort zone and then another guy who i think and i hope will be there future us don't spoil this I hope Debo Samuel's there, um, a guy who we've all been waiting on to do some really big things. Uh, I think the hope, cons- the consensus, at least you know, outside of South Carolina rivals, is that he's healthy for a full year and we're able to see what he can do uh, from a special team standpoint right. as well. And he's one of the most electrifying players in college football when healthy. And I think it'd be fun to talk to him about his perspective. I hope he's there, but like I'm going to take it a step further. Like in my fantasy media days, <laughs> I would like him to show up like in like a wife beater. And riding in on someone's bike, he sold like like actual Debo from Friday. Oh, I think that'd be like a hell of an entrance. I was wondering I where you were going then, with that. Yeah, and then also I want to see Drew Locke because I want to see if he can like improve that Millie Rock game that he was whew, tough. We have uh, more Jake Fromm stuff that we want to get to later, but for now, I think it's future us. Don't tell us, but I think the chances of Jake Fromm being at SEC Media Days are all but down the drain because of right. his. Uh, his injury that he suffered over Fourth of July, breaking his non-throwing hand. Not not a lot of hand injuries just from him. 
Well, the, the the fish hook thing was was in the leg. Oh yeah, so that's, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Not just a hand. All, thing. all fishing injuries. He's on the lake. You're combining Tua and Jake Fromm. I think they're just morphed into one person now at this point. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'd take that quarterback. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Be, be able to throw with both hands. It'd be cool. I just, I mean, yeah, we'll get into the Jake Fromm thing later. I, I doubt he'll be there, which is gonna mean. I don't know. We always get so excited for media days, and then I hope I hope tomorrow is like going to be a little bit like a Christmas morning, and they, they give us some good surprises. Yeah, the star power has been uh, lacking, according to certain people who have been going to SEC media days for years and years. This is actually my first time going to SEC media days, so I'm excited about that. But people who will also be experiencing for the first time with me, that is Jimbo Fisher, Joe Moorhead, Chad Morris, Jeremy Pruitt, all going to be there for the first time. I believe Jeremy Pruitt for the first time, unless he's been in some behind-the-scenes type thing that I haven't known about when he was a coordinator or something like that, but I would assume that this is Well, yeah, is usually they don't have, like, the coordinators right. there, but... And, I mean, you don't want to put him up, up there either because he's, he's you know, a little rough around the edges when it gets to uh, press conferences and, and stuff with the media. I think Pruitt... I, I think a lot of these new coaches, though, I think those four new coaches are going to be a lot of fun to watch just because for, for different reasons altogether. Jimbo Fisher, whoever has to transcribe his interviews, Godspeed, good luck. Um, oh, my gosh. Those are going to be so Orgeron. many Ooh. words to to get down. Um, I got us a Rosetta Stone, so you're welcome. Oh, yeah. We, we need that. Just Venmo me we for that. Do, we definitely need that. <laughs> I'm a PayPal guy. Um, <laughs> Joe Moorhead, if, obviously, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Let's get it out of the way. Yeah, of course, I'm excited to see Joe oh, Moorhead. Oh, my goodness. Um, and I think that just the, the quiet, calm demeanor that he's going to bring, I think he's going to uh, impress people with, with just the way that he fits in in this conference. I mean, he's yeah. kind of considered an outsider because his background and where he's from, but I think he's going to fit in just fine. Chad Morris, a guy. I still haven't even Googled him just because I want it to be a surprise to see what he looks like. I'm going to have to point him out to you and be like, hey, that's Joe yeah. Moorhead. And you're going to be like, really? Yeah, Joe, if you can move out of the way, trying <laughs> talk to uh, Jimbo here. <laughs> Chad Morris is a guy who will, you'll be able to recognize because he's going to have like six Red Bulls around him at all Just times. double fisting Red Bulls. He's going to have like one of those beer dispensing helmets uh, with like a giant monster energy drink. See, if good to be here. Good to be here, y'all. Chad Morris is working on his, on his recruiting pitches and stuff like that. The best thing that he could possibly do is show up to his presser and do the Stone Cold Steve Austin with two cans of Red yes. and just all over. That's honestly the best thing anyone could do at a press conference. That would be, oh, that's a dream. Yeah, that would go viral in two seconds. Who wouldn't play for that guy? What? Yeah, that's true. What What coach is going to do my least favorite thing? Because I live in Atlanta. Which one's going to be the first one to say Hot Atlanta? Uh, you know, oh, that's tough. Guess that's maybe, what maybe, Dan, maybe Dan Mullen. I can see that. I can see yeah. Mullen doing that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to. I, I think that'd be that'd be tough. I don't think Gus Malzahn's going there. I don't think he's going to hate on <laughs> because he's got all those fans and all those Auburn fans in Atlanta, as you like to point out. I don't think he wants to potentially, you know, put a barrier there by sounding like an outsider. It's, it's got to be Jimbo. Uh, just Jimbo could finger guns waving, just trying to fit in with the crowds and all the regulars around here. Man, I was at Waffle House this morning. That's what I call it, Hotlanta. Huh? This traffic, what? All right, Jimbo, you said the trifecta right there. Jimbo's going to be a fun, uh, a fun person to follow as he begins his first SEC media days. Jeremy Pruitt, I think uh, maybe not getting a lot of, he might not be getting a lot of buzz nationally for his arrival at Tennessee, just from like what it's going to do in terms of creating national headlines. Right. But I was saying this to you earlier. I think we could be in a situation where we see Pruitt make headlines for press for press conference type situations very frequently. And I think that could start at SEC Media Day. It's a guy who isn't afraid to say what's on his mind and doesn't always come up with the canned answers as we saw from him bashing the Tennessee crowd in the spring game. Which you need that. Like I, I like 
I love the fact that he's not missing his words and <laughs> not worried about anybody's feelings, for one. We need some kind of entertainment like that. Because, you know, Les Miles is gone. Bielema's gone. I mean, Orgeron's, he's funny, but, like, don't understand all the words he's going to say. I'm mainly excited for Pruitt to be there because I'm 100% going to ask him who the best player from two-a-days was. That's a great question. And we got we to gotta find out the asparagus thing. Has anybody gotten to the bottom of that yet? I haven't seen it. I mean, he... He didn't know what asparagus was, which is fair. Does he know but now? Like it's been 10 years. Yeah. Has he, has he been in situations education. where he's been forced to consume asparagus or at least know what it is? I would hope so, and I think that's a Maybe we question. do like a family feud quiz of other foods and spices, like paprika. Like, does anybody know what paprika is? I don't. That's, don't answer that. that. seems pretty frequently. It's pretty... Kumquat. What is that? A big old squash? I don't now know. Now you're using words that are outside of my lexicon. <laughs> Another storyline that we'll be following, but in a different way, not necessarily a coach-player impact the 2018 season type of way, but the Paul Feinbaum situation. Um, This is something that has gotten national headlines. Paul Feinbaum, of course, is considered the mouth of the South. Whether you love him or you hate him, you recognize that he is the voice of the SEC, and he has become synonymous with this conference, and especially in the playoff era, as being now the face of SEC Network with his show, which is on four hours a day, five days a week, which is unbelievable (laughs) that he's on TV for 20 hours during the week. So uh, Paul Feinbaum's situation, his current contract situation, has been a a hot topic of of debate, Um, could be decided by the end of the week. Um, That's Maybe maybe what we're hearing. He said that he is going to be most likely in Atlanta. I think they kind of alluded to that on WJOX. Pretty much said, yeah, I don't miss SEC media days. Didn't come out and confirm, yeah, I have a deal locked down and I'm going to be on SEC Network moving <laughs> forward. But Yeah, usually people don't do that. The report that was interesting that, that drew a lot of attention was that there's apparently a been a big push from FS1 and Big Ten Network to get Paul Feinbaum away from the SEC and bring him on board to come up to the Midwest and, and do his thing there. I, and that's wild. I When I first heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, good for him. He's going to try to leverage the situ- situation with like a another network and make even more money. And then it was like, I'll leave you for the Big Ten. Like, what kind of threat is that? Yeah, and you know, a lot of these things are done – from you know these are these are agents talking and you know they're the ones who who kind of feed these reports and sometimes they'll leak something and that's just to i I think a lot of times it's just to drive the price up i don't really know the the inner workings of what's going on don't make it so personal and go to the big 10 (laughs) that'd be like if my girlfriend was like i tell you what like things are fine you you think but if you don't start doing the dishes like i will leave you for an auburn fan (laughs) what i will leave you for danny canell and another podcast just hating on the sec oh my yeah, I think the thought of of Paul Feinbaum not in the SEC is 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 really hard to fathom, in my opinion. Just the guy who has become so synonymous with this this SEC way of of you know the it just means more that we joke about all the time. Right. But a guy who literally wrote the book "Why My Conference right. Is Better Than Your Conference." <laughs> Um, Paul Feinbaum is the SEC, and I know that I have a different opinion of him, um, having been you know able to communicate with him over the last few months. Been on a sick okay, brag, we get it. Couple Here show, we go. A couple times, <laughs> and I appreciate the way that he's he's treated me as someone yeah. who you know is is trying to you know keep his foot in the door in this business, and just will do whatever I can to you know just to have right. a, a platform to speak from. So I appreciate him doing that. But just in terms of like a, a media perspective and what he means, I have had a. a my appreciation for him has grown in the last few months. Yeah. As someone who has watched his show a lot more than I did before this past year when I wasn't covering SEC football, you know, I, I have my appreciation for what he does in a, in a 
given day. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is. And I think you saw a lot of the comments when that report surfaced about if he was leaving, <laughs> if he's going to leave for the Big Ten. And everybody's like, a lot of people are like, let him go. Let him go. Let him Who go. Who cares? There. We'll bring in somebody better. Yeah. We'll bring in Dabo. No, guys. Stop using stop using that mentality with every single level of SEC stuff. Like, coaches, I don't care if Saban leaves. Let, I remember after the kick six, kick six, there was a group of fans that said, you have to admit Saban's only good at recruiting and not good at coaching. They need to bring in, like, Jimbo or, like, bring in Dabo, bring in Kirby Smart, or, like, you know, the two of Jalen thing. But, like, yeah, Feinbaum's pretty great. Yeah, fine. I don't want him to leave. Fine, Bob. Whether you, like I said, if you love him or hate him, you need to recognize that what he does is not easy, and that right. his voice has become such a big part of this conference. And it would be awfully strange to see it anywhere else. Yeah, maybe future. Like Joey Galloway coming down here, that talking trash about everybody, or just Trevor Maddich overly explaining every single offensive line play. Trevor Maddich loves himself some offensive line play. I would love to see him and Cole Kubelek go back and forth on offensive line play for like two hours and just see yeah. who who nerds out or more. wrestle or wrestle. That'd be good too. That'd be good. Too. I think Cole Cole slimmed down a little bit since his since his playing day, so that yeah. might not be the you know the same weight class type deal, but. Yeah, that's uh, thinking about the media personalities that make up this conference, you, you kind of start and end with, with Feinbaum, in my opinion, as, as the big overarching personality. So that's going to be something to watch during SEC media well, days, especially if he doesn't have talk- a new deal set. Right. And we talked about this like earlier, and I admittedly, I used to always think of him as just the Jerry Springer of SEC sports or SEC football because – you know, for the longest time, he's based out of Birmingham, and people would say he's like an Auburn homer, a Bama homer. He went to Tennessee, right? Right. First off, so couldn't be further from that. But the fact that like he, it seemed like he was always kind of stirring the pot and just you know sitting back and watching the chaos that would ensue. That's kind of like a surface level assessment of what he was doing. He had the number one rated radio show in the entire country out of Birmingham. I don't know if you've ever driven through Alabama. The radio there's not great. <laughs> Not not fantastic at all. Um, no, but it's it's really impressive, like the, like what he's built down here. So I'm I'm glad he's going to be staying. Well, we don't know that officially. We don't know that officially oh, yeah. that he's going to be staying. Sure. The idea of him potentially staying, I I think they're hoping to get things figured out before media days, just so that that's not a distraction or anything that he's going to try and do because you know he's he's obviously going to have plenty of stuff going on, assuming that his his new deal is, is taken care of. So that's going to be. Something definitely fun to watch. It's going to be our first time doing this together, doing the SDS podcast yeah. live in Atlanta as, as a duo. Should we tell them? <sighs> well, let's save it for next week. We got a little surprise. Okay, we got a surprise for you. We got a surprise that we're going to open the podcast with next week. It's going to I'm surprise pregnant. you. It's going to surprise you. I can promise you that. Not you because you, you're in on it, but you, the listener who I'm talking to right now. Yes, that's fair. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, will inevitably d- get discussed while we're in Atlanta, and it gets discussed the week before. I feel like this is peak season for it. Right. It's hot seat season. It is the time of year in which national publications come out with their hot seat lists, and they name maybe 10 coaches, maybe 15 coaches. Maybe they even get a little bit ambitious and go for 20 coaches that are on the hot seat. Yeah. Hell, 25, 30. I'll put them all on there. I don't care. <laughs> This is the SEC. We don't care if you stay or go. What, what, what a title. What have you done for me lately? Good riddance. <laughs> so, you know, naturally the lists come out there. And there's a couple SEC coaches on there. But for the, for the most part, there's really not a whole lot of SEC representation on these lists. And that's in large part because of the turnover this past year. Six different new coaches in the conference. That includes Matt Luke shedding the interim tag and all that stuff. So you're looking at a situation in which there's not going to be 
a bunch of coaches that aren't necessarily on the hot seat just because there's not a whole lot left to be on the hot seat because a lot of them are in their first years. But one of them who is on the hot seat, according to USA Today, is Barry Odom. And Barry Odom is is in a different spot because he's only in year three and usually at a place like Mizzou where that doesn't have necessarily the, the history of, you know, an Alabama or Georgia or something like that. You know, you can kind of say that Illinois, a Fresno State. Yes, Illinois, Fresno State. Right. At, I'm, I'm going to let, let the record show that you said Illinois and Alabama were on the same level nationally. That was That's not what I was saying at all. Um, so Barry Odom comes in at number eight uh, on this USA Today hot hot seat list. That's a mouthful. And I did something about a month and a half back, shameless plug alert, where I wrote that no SEC coach has more questions to answer than Barry Odom. Now, I'm not necessarily putting him on the hot seat because I don't know what what the, the internal conversations are. And I, right. unless you get an AD like Scott, like Scott Woodward last year who came out and said, Kevin Sumlin needs to win games in 2017. Right, right off the bat. Unless you get an AD who comes out and says that, I don't like putting coaches on the hot seat because I think it's unfair to assume what those conversations. I love how are like. logical you are with the hot seat. Like, I, I'm not going to say he's on the hot seat because, like, it's a it's it's a very surface level thing. Like, he needs to win or else. Right. He's like, I don't want to say because you know there's so many factors. Like, does he have a new athletic director? I'm like, I don't care about the ins and outs of it. Don't tell me about facts and logic. So, does he need to win? <laughs> So the interesting, there are a lot of different things with Odom, and he's not necessarily a guy that we talk about a ton um, on this list, but he's going to be an intriguing coach to follow this year uh, because of the the preseason expectations that come with having a potential first-round quarterback in Drew Locke. He's He's going to have all eyes on him from a national perspective in that regard. And here's the thing. To all those who are saying, Barry Odom, there's no way that, that, that he should get fired, and there's no way that, that, that that's going to happen. He shouldn't even be listed on the hot seat. I hear you. I get all that. The reason that there is doubt about Barry Odom is pretty simple. He is a defensive-minded coach. He has yet to produce a defense that has finished in the top 90 since taking over as a head coach at Mizzou. Of course, the season before when he was the defensive coordinator, Mizzou finished number five in scoring defense. So Hold hold on. Before you get to this, because I I, I think it's imperative. I'm there. Let's take a breath. But but because this morning, when we were talking about this, I laughed this off because— I mean, and as I've said before, I like Mizzou. I like Barry Odom. I, one of my best friends is a, is a huge Mizzou fan. We used to go to Mizzou games every year. That being said, like, I always say, like, yeah, what, what are your expectations? You have to manage your expectations of, like, where your program is. I mean, if they're 7-5, and five, I think that's, that's kind of where I expect them to be. That being said, I did not realize this next stat was real. And if you're talking about a defensive-minded coach, because that's, I mean, say it's fair or unfair – that's what he's going to be judged off of is, you know, the success of the team, how good are they defensively? And it's not doing himself any favors that they're going to be having a little bit more publicity with Drew Locke being a first-round pick. But this next stat is the probably the worst defensive stat I've ever heard. So last year, Mizzou was 0-6 when it did not score 45 points. Oh, so, and six. So, hold on. Say it again for the people in the back. They Mizzou. Oh, and six. Oh, and six when it did not. Unless they points. scored 45 points. And they were seven and oh when they did. That That is like Michael Jordan Space Jam type stuff. Like, you're going to have to put up 100 today. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to lose the Monstars. I mean, if you let And up, the Monstars are just Arkansas. If you let up 43 points to an FCS team, chances are your defense is not very good. Yeah, you don't want to get into shootout with SEMO the first week. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not good. 
So there are more stats that, that don't help Odom in this case and why he should say. And a lot of people, a lot of the anti-Missouri people at the end of last year were, were pointing this out too. And that's that Mizzou just simply has not beat very good teams. He's two and three. Or no, not two and three. Two, <laughs> two and three would be great. He's two and 13. Let me correct myself. Against He is one and one. <laughs> two and 13 against teams with a winning record. And see, that, that for me isn't that bad. Like that's, that's bad. a bad stat. That's bad. But it, but again, like, and I'm not trying to dismiss Mizzou as like like a, a lower tier team or anything like that. I just think that you know the ter- what happened at Mizzou, and if we're just um, we're not going to get into the politics of it or anything like that. But what happened when Gary Pinkle left was a pretty it, it kind of turned the program upside down. And this is a program that faced like I wouldn't say scrutiny, but they were. Under a microscope, the boycott and like the, situation, like, and right, yeah. the whole boycott situation. Before that, you had Michael Sam coming out as like the first, you know, openly gay player, and he was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year. So you just had a lot of publicity, and then with the boycotts, especially, and and having that kind of play into Pinkle being gone, I, like I think he was kind of like pushed into this this coaching job a little bit too soon. First off, that's why I, one reason I think it's unfair. But I mean, yeah, two two and thirteen is not good, but oh and six. When you give up 45, if you don't score 45 points, that is, oh, that's the GOAT. So the the argument for why he's not going anywhere and why he's going to stay is because he did just get a contract extension at the end of last season that's going to have yeah. his deal run through 2022. So if you're looking at a Mizzou team that wins six games to say, yes, he's going to be gone, that might not be fair because that's one game right. less than what you gave him a two ga- a two year contract extension for. And would Mizzou really be in a situation where it would feel like it had to fire its head coach after going from seven wins to six wins, um, just like so, that, with four years left on? I mean, and and also this is Mizzou as a, as a whole, not just because of like the the what do you call it like the protest and everything like that, but the athletic department as a whole, it kind of needs some stability. Like, we're not that far removed from the whole Frank Anderson and Frank Haith deal with, like, the basketball coaches. And, like, or, I'm sorry, Mike Anderson leaving to go to Arkansas and then just, like, leaving the cover bear. Because Mizzou's a very, very proud basketball program. So I don't think they're going to get rid of him. I just – I mean, I would be shocked. If you – if you – one less game. If you, if you win one less game, I think it's hard to say that's worthy of being fired. But he – He's got a lot of talent. Well, and that's the thing is that that's what I don't like about a lot of these hot seat lists is that they assume that there is a certain mark and if a coach does not hit it, they are gone. And I don't right. I don't like that for Barry Odom. I don't think that's fair. That's because you're logical. It, it is. And I think that there are more things to look at. If they win six, seven games, what if they beat Alabama? Like, I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't know why you say it like that, but I mean. <laughs> I'm not saying that's going to happen, but there are certain things that can happen within a season that aren't just, let's chalk up a win total and say that a coach needs to hit that unless right. he's gone. I think there are, well, there are certain factors. Like, what if Mizzou all of a sudden has a top 40 defense and Drew Locke is injured and Mizzou puts together a top 40 defense They only and they win six games, but it's like, Wow, they did this I'm without so Drew Locke. I'm so blown away by the in-depths of like how logical you are with this. Like, top to 40 defense. Top 40 defense. What if Drew Locke is injured? What if they beat Bama? Like, yeah, I think if they beat Bama, there's no way he's getting fired. Yeah, you don't fire I a coach mean, who does that, Auburn. No, right. just Auburn. Gave but, <laughs> but, I mean, like, the next one, seven of its first eight opponents had winning records. They, they, okay, so that's for, that's, for, uh, that's for 2018. I made a mistake on our outer notes here. So... Seven of Mizzou's first eight opponents this season have winning right. records, which means that that two and thirteen mark is really going to be put to the test. And if you're 
if you're sitting there like they were last year, getting off to that horrendous start, and I remember Barry Odom sort of joking on the SEC teleconference about how, uh, yeah, things were pretty bad about a month ago. And you got the feeling yeah. that he was thinking that his job was going to be done. And if Mizzou had continued on that horrendous start, then uh, yeah. That, and that fan turnout, too, that attendance Ooh. was bleak. Do you remember that Purdue game, how bad that was? Well, that's that's kind of self-explanatory. It's Purdue, but I mean, I mean, they, they, more like per don't. I, Boom, Connor roasted. I mean, they got rocked against Purdue at home and had a terrible fan showing in that one. Fans were leaving that game in the middle of the third quarter. It was Mizzou was like a three and a half point favorite, and I won like fifty bucks on that game. Yeah, but like it, it amazes me because somebody somebody brought this up last year. One of the fans they were like, "It's just a shame. Like you don't see anybody on the rocks anymore." I was like, "Come again?" Because they have like. The MU out there in the rocks was like spells like Mizzou or whatever. Why are you trying to sit on rocks? I don't know. There are better yeah, places. A lot, to of, sit. a lot of stadium there, guys. Yeah. They're getting uh, so, big, but I mean, either way, too. I just yeah, it's true. So that, probably another reason I don't think that he's going to be fired. Yeah. So that's that's my problem with with all these these hot seat lists, and we we you're probably going to see a few other coaches. You know, and Ed Orgeron's going to show up on one of those. A Derek Mason might might show up. <laughs> and Derek Mason, I mean, goodness gracious, I just looked up the, this stat before uh, we, we hopped on here. I think the last time Vandy fired a coach was 1996. So we Woody Woodenhofer. Yeah. So how, how can you even <laughs> how can you even judge what what Who's- the hot seat is? At Vandy, yeah. when coaches either resign or they go to an, you know, maybe there's a James Franklin situation where they go for another job, like right. It's and, and firing an interim isn't really firing a coach. It's just not hiring the interim. So yeah, and I mean Derek Mason, like I, I like the guy, and I think he's got. I don't know if he should have left Stanford in that position because it almost, even though he's becoming a head coach, was like a lateral move. Not necessarily. I mean, if you get a chance to be a head coach at a Power Five school, you take it. Yeah, okay, sure. And then he's going to be out of that job in three to four years. But not necessarily because there's there are certain— He's on the hot seat, Connor. <laughs> I think there are certain benefits to going to a place like that where you know the bar is low and you know that if you win six games, you're going to be in a pretty good position to take whatever next job that you want. If I think Derek Mason goes. has to win 10 games this year. Yes, or, or he's <laughs> gone. <laughs> or he's fired. No, I think—I mean, yeah, I, I hope he stays because he's a, he's a good guy. Um, kind of a soft spot for— Guys like that, because I mean, it's got to be tough to like, you know. Come, I mean, Stanford's one of the best defenses in the country. It seems like year in year out, and then not been the same at Vandy. I think the the coach that's the obvious answer here on the hot seat is Malzahn. <laughs> right after no, he's okay. it's it's Gosh. it's definitely Orgeron, it's, and and I hate I don't think that one's fair either, because I think that one is like I think people are are definitely not going to be as logical as you are about that one, and if he doesn't get eight nine wins. He's gone. Yeah, and I floated out the, the question earlier, not what does Ed Orgeron need to do to keep his job, but what does he need to do in 2018 to make fans feel good about him, about him as a long-term guy? Because I think that's the biggest question right now is, is this guy really going to be here for you know eight, nine years, or is this just kind of a three-year deal, you know, a caught-up-in-the-moment mistake where you gave the interim <laughs> guy the, the head you job? You married your high school sweetheart, and <laughs> she found out she was pregnant before prom. Like, it's kind of what it is. And they're like, oh, no. Yeah. I, no, I love you. Yeah, this is love. The, um, <laughs> you were going to say something along not, those lines. I could just tell. I could just tell. Um, the, the tough thing with, with Ordron that I, I don't know if a lot of people really understand is that you're looking at 
a guy who's not going to get fired just for losing a game. I know the Troy thing last year scared a lot of people, and all of a sudden we're yeah. questioning his future. But he's I, I see no scenario in which he goes 2-2 two and two and all of a sudden – like he's gone, a la Les Miles in, in in 2016. It just it's a very different dynamic when you have Joe Leva still running the show, and as long as Joe Leva's there, you got to keep in mind that Ed Orgeron was the most controversial hire he's probably made to date. I think that's a fair thing to say, and a guy who's not going to want to admit that he was wrong. And ads have big egos, and they oftentimes like to defend their head coach. And we saw at Arkansas last year, Jeff Long had to get fired before Brett Bielema was ultimately fired because you need to clear the the way. So until Joe Oliva is, you know, out of a job or something like that, I'm not going to be willing to say Ed Orgeron's going to be fired in you know this right. game, this game. So the the other element to this God, that they, everybody they got a tough schedule though. It's brutal. It's brutal. And the the biggest thing with Orgeron, I think, and it's kind of what you brought up with the Les Miles thing, is like there's so much unrest going into it. So like if you open yourself up to some kind of like a loss early that, you know, then creates like you're you're back against the wall or you're kind of, you know, the rest of the season, you now have to win out, but like it's constantly at the forefront of everyone, like, questioning you and, like, adds more pressure, and then are you going to lose the team? Like, they open up with a pretty tough September, and then October is brutal. LSU, so, LSU is not the type of place, like Michigan last year. I thought Michigan was a good example of this. If you get off to a bad start and you're, you're out of contention for an entire half of a season, it's not good. It's, it's not no. good just for, I mean, the fan morale at a place like that that has such high expectations year in, year out. That's the obvious point. All jokes aside, like— you know how irrational and dumb people can get when they drink a lot. That's the entire year down in Baton Rouge. <laughs> like, you're not dealing with, like, logic there. It's like, no, that's fine. No, you're done. You are done. Like, they're going to fire him, like, after, like, the second scrimmage. So the hot seat people who have Ed Orgeron on there probably are pointing to the fact that LSU has won at least eight games in every season right. in the 21st century. And the school of thought is if you don't win eight games— Bye-bye. Expect to be out of a job at LSU. I don't know if that's the case at all. I absolutely have no idea. Is there an expectation level for LSU that's higher than a place like Mizzou and Vandy? Of course, obviously. But I'm not going to sit here and act like I know what the number is because there are different things that can happen within a six- and seven-win season. Yeah. I mean, they have so many good opponents on the schedule that I I feel like expectations have come down this year to a more appropriate level. They, They should because that schedule is absolutely brutal i don't know if there's a tougher schedule in america to be honest with you so and what's crazy is like the less miles loss at auburn is literally like that was the nail in the coffin and last year that was one of the bigger games like from the entire season you know with how it ended up turning out because it pretty much cost auburn a chance that i think probably get an easier track into the the playoffs there wouldn't have been as much right on that last game that's for sure i i mean this game this year, when, when Auburn opens with Washington, and I think that's going to be a lot tougher than people think. Why and don't people think LSU, that's tough? Washington's going to be a top seven team. Because they're, they're 3,000 miles away from SEC country, and people don't understand they have one of the top front sevens in the entire country and one of the best quarterbacks that everyone forgot about last year and a great coach. And Jacob Eason. And some bomb-ass coffee. Don't forget Jacob Eason's going to be not there in attendance, but with them in spirit because he's redshirting. Right. So keep that in mind. But then LSU has to play Miami, which a lot of people are high on. I personally think LSU's going to win that game. Really? But, I mean, you're talking about if, if worst-case scenario, if they both lose opening weekend and both fan bases are already upset, and then they go into that game one and one, like, and, and the loser, you're out of national contention. That's, I mean, that, that's a huge game this year. Losing a second game after you've already lost your big marquee non-conference game 
it, it's a it's a big blow to morale. It's a huge, huge blow. It's re- reality sets in that usually, I mean, with the exception of Auburn, who had number one show up to to Jordan Hare twice. A right. little bit of a different scenario, but um, so I'll, I'll, let's wrap this this hot seat season up with this one question: If you would have been on one coach in the SEC getting fired, who would it be? Orgeron. I hate to say that, but yeah. All right. I'm gonna wait until uh, beginning of November. What, what the hell is that? <laughs> Give me your prediction. What's a hot take? All right, you are out on a limb. <laughs> My bet, just because of that schedule, be Orgeron, and I. I it's a tough, it's a tough, tough bet because you could make a lot of. What, a lot hold on, of why were you gonna agree with me and then let me just die out there on that island by myself? Because, <laughs> like I said, I don't like this conversation just because I don't like the. Or, I mean, I like the nature of talking about what a coach. Hey, you put it in the notes. I do. I want to talk about Rocky Four again. We can just talk about Drago. That's cool. I watched it on July Fourth. That's pretty great. That's so American of you. Yeah. Uh, Jake Fromm on July Fourth was not watching Rocky Four. Instead, he was. Explaining to the Georgia fan base, no, he really did, wasn't explaining to the Georgia fan base, but the Georgia fan base, uh, their their heart skipped a beat when they found out that Jake Fromm had a broken hand that he got, of course, that right after we recorded um, our 4th of July podcast. Uh, got it, uh, do, you know, motorsports as per usual with, with Jake Fromm. That's become, what exactly? What, it was uh, on the lake. It was, it was, wasn't it wakeboarding? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not athletic, athletic enough to do any of that stuff. That being said... Somebody needs to sit this boy down. Tell him, like, have y'all seen Lake Placid? Just pop in Lake Placid on VHS. He'll never go to a lake ever again. I just, I'm blown away. Like, it's like he doesn't want to start. Also, what an overreaction from everyone. That was the reaction right there. (laughs) Oh, my God. So it was like he broke his hand, and then it immediately went to, like, well. Justin Fields. Fields is starting. Like, what? (laughs) What? Which I guess kind of makes sense because it's literally what happened to them last season. But like, let's just you know let it marinate a little bit, guys. Yeah. Then of course Kirby Smart comes out and says, "Yeah, he's not even going to miss seven on seven. He'll be he'll be fine." Like, I'm not worried about what he does in his free time. A lot of Georgia fans though are worried about what Jake Fromm does in his free time. They know that he is an avid outdoorsman and he loves hunting. He loves fishing. He loves doing all that stuff. He's kind of a professional fisherman because he went in that tournament. Yeah. So Georgia fans loved that about him a couple of weeks ago. Oh, like a few months ago, when he probably yeah. <laughs> pre-fish hook injury. When not only is our quarterback great, he's also a hell of an angler. Yeah. Which, now it's like stay off the lake, Jake. Yeah. So also, how ridiculous is it that we are where we are now? Deciding that like there used to be like all right, don't play pickup basketball in the off season. I know, right? You might tear your ACL. It's like hey, don't go fishing and sit by yourself in the quiet for hours. It can only end poorly. There are a lot of people who really want him to just go sit in a room and be quiet for the next yeah. <laughs> for the next month until the season starts. Um, That's fair. So we don't want him to do that. We came up with activities for Jake Fromm to do uh, to prevent injury. Things that he can yeah. do that he's not going to have to worry about getting a fish hook in his leg or, yeah. or you know, potentially breaking his hand while he's on the water. So Jake Fromm, you can take all these and you can thank us later, but we have five activities for you that you can do. That's, that's more exciting than just facing the wall and thinking about football and plays. Because those are your only two options. Okay, so the first one is get into slam poetry. I don't know why you opened it with that, and I'm I'm kind of shocked you knew what slam poetry was. Everything is a slam poem if you say oh, it like this. <laughs> slam poetry is really. I don't know why was that your first your first option. I don't. Know. I was going to say like I don't know, give back to the community. Well, he does that already. 
He does that already. He's a big, oh, okay, yeah. He's so a slam poetry. That you know that he's that doing all the community, you know, the community service stuff. He's probably doing like you know, build a house for uh, Habitat for Humanity. He's probably doing all that yeah. stuff. Georgia fans are probably worried that he's building houses and using equipment and stuff. So we didn't want to necessarily get into that. We know that he's giving back to the community. He's that type of kid. But getting into slam poetry, a little bit more intellectual, a, a little bit something to take his mind off of football and water sports that he can get passionate about and. Yeah. And get some of those endorphins going. Yeah, poetry is, <laughs> is big. Nothing says endorphins like slam poetry. I know, right? When you get that good burn in and you're just like, oh, man. I can't, I, that makes you think. <laughs> Whenever you say slam poetry, all I can think of is like an older white art teacher that is probably has like working on some dreadlocks. Yeah. I don't fully He's understand living. slam poetry if it has That's to why rhyme. I still don't understand why you opened with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he could figure it out and then he could tell us. So yeah. the other thing that he could do, and I'm sure a lot more people will support this than my first choice, is he can create himself in the last NCAA college football video game, which was 2014. Yeah, the anniversary. Yeah, today. today's the anniversary. What a, The 2018 game would have come out today. So that'd be really fun that you're, you're not getting hurt sitting on the couch doing that. Your player no. might get hurt, theoretically. He's going to experience a lot of contact. Also true. Um, but build up that offensive line, and your player will be fine, and he won't even get injured. So that's right. Good too. There you go. All right. So that's definitely one. This is the best one. Um, he could find Carmen San Diego. I mean, no one even talks about that. That we literally never found her. It's one of the biggest unsolved mysteries to date. Oh, that is the worst show. Unsolved that's mystery. A, it just kind of makes yeah. you makes you like sleep with your light on that night, and you're like, oh well, man. I, I swear to God, every single episode ended with like. The killer was last seen in Stone Mountain, Georgia, right outside your window. I was like, what? He's like three miles. How is he always three miles away from where we live, Mom? Like, and it was a national show. I swear to God, it was always in Atlanta. He was last seen right in the backseat of your car. Excuse me? Oh, what, what, he, he was? Okay, that's, that, that's good to know. Yeah, perfect. Carmen San Diego would be a little bit less scary of an excursion um, if he wants to fire up the old PC and... Uh, and, and try and look for Carmen San Diego. That'd be a pretty productive way to uh, to your, spend his your time. Your hobbies are just man, little, concerning. Little um, <laughs> so there's there's that. Uh, there's something else that maybe he's done this already. I don't know, but uh, it doesn't seem like it because he's spending all this time on the water, yeah. obviously. And that is get a summer reading list. You got a month left. Agreed. You can file. Get Lake Placid. The book was better than the movie. There you go. That's a fire. Lake take. Placid too. Not so much. Yeah. Get Phil Stills magazine. I'm still still trying to figure it out. Read up on the competition, Jake. Yeah. Just saying. So there you go. Uh, he could easily go through like five, six books by the time training camp starts. And yeah, that's a good idea. And the last idea, this is most important and we're going to need, oh, without a doubt. we're going to need everyone's help on this. Um, and that is he should listen to podcasts that talk about college football, specifically SEC podcasts that talk about college football and come up with ideas for him to avoid injury. Yeah. And cool? also, I mean, yeah, it's important because like I'm on the hot seat. You are on the hot seat. You are very much on the hot seat. <laughs> so we don't get enough five-star ratings. It's not good. Yeah, it's not good. So uh, we need that Jake Fromm endorsement. So that was our long way of saying shameless plug. Jake Fromm, there's a list of things to do without getting hurt. I'll party with you, man. And, you know, honestly, I'm sure that'll be at the top of his list, all of these, when he's spending the summer in Athens, Georgia, the most fun place on earth. Absolutely. Well, Athens is, I mean, in the summer months, is it is it a place where people are, are gen- I have been there over in 100 summer. bars in a, in a three-block radius. It is the most fun you will ever have. In summer, most people are gone, so it's... Oh, that, well, that, that's what I was going to get to, is that what, what, what is a... Because there are varying degrees of college campuses and what they look like in the summer. Some are ghost towns. Some right. people want to stay and be at for a long period of time. 
Athens. You don't ever want to leave Athens. It's right. Athens like itself is like you know that excitement you get when you go to like an amusement park. You're like oh my gosh, like am I gonna do the tilt a whirl? Am I gonna go on this roller coaster? That's what it's like, but with alcohol and fun. That's what it's like every time I start this podcast and my voice doesn't. <laughs> you heard it here first. Six Flags Over Athens. So, a topic that you uh, are very passionate about, I know, and for reasons that we will not explain, you are not allowed to argue to this specific person about this topic We're because explain. I'll explain it. They may or may not have blocked you on Twitter. <laughs> Tim Brando, college football announcer. Many of you people know him. Went on the Paul Feinbaum show last week and said that Alabama is privileged, privileged by the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, said that Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are virtual locks to make the College Football Playoff, and there's basically one open spot, so I guess everybody else just give up playing. Um, (laughs) Interesting comment, to say the least. Yeah, because, you know, preseason magazines are always so accurate. Deadlocks. Yeah, and Ohio State, like, they would have been a lock last year, right? Right. And And the year before? Alabama and Ohio State were... Fighting for right. a spot. I say that in air quotes because and, Ohio State was in And 2015. Game. Did they make it in 2016? Ohio State made it in 2016, lost to Clemson. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So they've made it once in the past. Well, twice in the four years of the playoff system, okay. but yeah. Clemson three Guaranteed times lock. Four times. Sure. Um, so, yeah, the, the issue with this, I actually, I can go both ways with this. <laughs> and I know that that kind of surprises you. Um, because I think oh, here the, we go. the knee-jerk reaction is obviously Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. They're not privileged. They're just really good. And that's my 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 counter argument to to Tim Brando and what I tweeted out the other day was that well against teams that actually finished in the top twenty-five, that means yeah. the final AP top twenty-five. Alabama's eighteen and five. Ohio State's fourteen and four. Clemson's fifteen and five. That's during the playoff no, era. And that's the best again, far and away. Like the the most important part of that stat is that finish in the top 25, right. not just that play at the end of the year. Also, I mean, yeah, when I saw this, every time you get like into any kind of back and forth on Twitter, I come running, you know, like, a, like an overbearing parent in T-ball. It's not always asked for, but I'm going to do it. But yeah, this one, I, I tried to click on Tim Brando's Twitter feed to see what he had written, and I found out I was blocked, which is nice. I always kind of feel like there's going to be like this narrative for people if they come from a a rival background where they're going to like have these kind of, well, it's just unfair. Like Bama gets all the breaks. Like they had that whole thing. I heard it for years about how like Bama gets like all the calls and like the refs are always in their pocket. Like Bama's the, I, Bama's opponents are the least penalized teams in the country. Literally the least for the past two years in a row. That's a good stat. I like that stat. That is a good stat. I don't think it's accurate, but yeah, it's, it's like bottom five. We're going we're gonna to stick um, with that. They were last, they were last in 2016. I think they were like third to last last year, but it's just, I mean, I obviously, I'm trying not to be biased about this because, and I don't want to just have like the service level, like ignorant reaction of like, well, it's just because they're better than everybody else. I don't think that's true. Like when you, but when you say they don't fall as far for a loss, when's it happened? Yeah. So that's the other thing that I don't think, I don't think Tim Brando really thought about that before he said it, but during, so, cause you can only, there's only playoff polls that comes out. The only playoff polls that come out are basically November on. And during the playoff era, Alabama has only had one loss during that period of November, and that was this past year. The other losses, the playoff, the selection committee couldn't drop them because there weren't playoff polls coming out yet when they lost to, right. to Ole Miss. So Alabama dropped. Oh, and by last, the way, they're like forty-eight and five in conference in the past like six years. <laughs> right. So Alabama dropped last year from one to down to five after the Auburn loss, and then his argument was. 
oh, well, of course they put them at number five because they knew that whoever lost in the conference championship, they were going to be able to bump them out and put Alabama in. And it makes an easy argument. I get the frustration with certain people that Alabama's resume was not that good last year. Because last the year. Because the strength of schedule was not that great. Right. But if you're going to throw out something like that and say that it's the, the selection committee's fault, well, you got to kind of think about that. And Alabama hasn't had chances to fall while the playoff poll, while we've been able to see a week-to-week reflection from the playoff yeah. selection committee. It's different than the AP poll. You can't just take that into account. So I and think that, that perspective is important. And even if you're arguing strictly from the poll— like if you're arguing strictly from the like the polls, they don't drop enough in the polls. I think 2015, if they lost to Ole Miss, drop from two to twelve, dropped to thirteen before they played Georgia. And that's the one time they were an underdog. Was the next week against Georgia, and that's when the whole the dynasty's over and all this other stuff. And they went to go play Georgia in Athens, and they were eighth, I think. So that 12 point loss to Auburn, I'm pretty confident, is the biggest point differential they've had, like not in the postseason, in a loss in the past eight years. And the other thing is... If, they don't lose badly. Right, they, they don't. And, and if you are going to argue that Alabama shouldn't have dropped only to five and that they should have dropped further, who else were you going to put in ahead of them? I don't know if you want to go back down that road, but it wasn't like there were a, t- a bunch of teams chomping at the bit to get one of those top four spots. I mean, even to get a top five spot, rather. I mean, the the two lost teams were plentiful in college football, and you weren't going to put a Miami team that just that just lost a pit. I mean, it, that, that wasn't going to happen. So I, d- I didn't like the logic that he used to say Alabama doesn't drop far enough after it loses, well, you know, reality is the sample size is not very big. So it's very small. So there is that perspective. And if what he could have presented the argument a little bit differently and what I, I thought he might have gotten into, but I don't think he really did, was the point that I went on Feinbaum and made a few weeks ago is that do we have this bias, this confirmation bias against unranked teams in the preseason? That is, no team has ever started unranked and made the playoff. And it's right. interesting because there's been one team every year that sort of gets years. just left out. Yeah, in each in each of the four years of the playoff, there's yeah. always that one preseason unranked team that barely gets left out. So that that point is a little bit more interesting. And and is the selection committee subconsciously trusting these teams because they are so good against the top 25, and because they've had these the, this national reputation where we expect them to be okay in the national stage? Is that yeah. part of it? Maybe it should it be no, but that's that's maybe what he was trying to get into that he kind of failed to 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 get that to come across. But as a member of the media that talks about college football year round, that has a voice in all this, the blame goes right back <laughs> right, to you, right, right. sir. I mean, like Danny Cannell brought this up last year, and admittedly it was probably like hit closer to home because it was Cannell. But he's like, how come no one's talking about USC? It's like, dude, you haven't been talking about USC. For, like, the past six weeks. Like, don't say everyone wasn't talking about USC. And so I understand the whole point of, like, and they also had two losses. Right, right. But I understand the whole point of, like, it is kind of unfair and it's a huge uphill battle for an unranked team. I get that. But, like, I think I don't want to have, like, the lazy narrative of it being Bama fatigue or, like, they've set the bar too high for themselves. But, like, those opening opening games, the past three years, I think they've won by an average of, like, 81 to 27. Like, how many times have we seen, and I don't want to single out just A&M, but, like, how many times have we seen them go into the Texas A&M game where A&M's undefeated and they're a top-10 team and they get waxed? Because they beat them by an average of 22 points, like, the last four years when that's happened. It just, I mean, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> I'm not saying they don't get enough credit, but I think, like, that was a bad, that was a bad pick. The Ohio State thing, I get that one. Yeah, I, I don't like I don't like him saying that they're virtual locks for this this upcoming season. To me, you could say that they're the favorites, and that's because they have really talented rosters and all that stuff, and you expect them to have a good season. But to say that the selection committee is just going to put them in no matter what, I would tend right. to disagree with that. 
and also like preseason magazines, like how like when, anything preseason. We joked about it earlier, but media days, they've gotten it right five times in the past like 24 years. Speaking of preseason predictions, something that I was looking at the other day um, about just the SEC in general and not trying to figure out who necessarily is the best player in the conference, but who's the most valuable player in the conference? Those are two different things. And I want to preface that before I say this person, because I think a lot of people would object to that as saying he's the best player. But I do think that Jared Stidham is the most valuable player in the SEC going into 2018. And that's simply because his backup situation is not very good, at least from, from the onset, in terms of having a guy who can throw the ball and run the ball and be a true dual threat quarterback in Gus Malzahn's offense, which you we know. Did you call Jared Stidham a dual threat quarterback? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> If you watch how how progressively better he got in the running game over the course of the season, he was he a dual threat quarterback against Clemson? It's because he was no. giving fake handoffs to the SEC Offensive Player of the Year. Oh, that certainly helps, no doubt. But if you actually look at, at the way that he progressed in that decision-making process, he got to a point where I know his rushing numbers aren't going to reflect it, and I think he only finished the season <laughs> with like 150 yards, but you get sacks taken out. So all those yeah, sacks that he, was, that he was taking early in the season, I think his decision-making has gotten a lot better with that. And I would also say that... You you judge value based on the war stat that we use in baseball. And what would the team look like if you took that player off the roster? And what does it look What's, like with them on the roster? And I think Auburn would have a huge variance if you took off the war. Stidham. War is wins above replacement. No, I know what I'm saying. What would it be? Oh, like 10? I don't know. What? Nine or ten? Isn't that what, just, what Mike Trout Auburn is? Auburn goes the two of and the year? ten without him. Yeah. <laughs> Auburn just goes two and ten. No, I it, it would probably be like Maybe like four, maybe four or five. I think that's fair. I don't think it's that drastic. I, so, and the reason why, and we, we talked about this earlier, is that like the most successful quarterback they've had under Malzahn as a head coach, not as a quarterback because it became, but was Nick Marshall, who was. was Look at his 2013 numbers, though. His 2013 numbers are actually pretty good. As, yeah. a, as a passer, I'm not just saying as, as a runner, too. And that, that kind of right. adds to the argument, though, is how complicated has it been to figure out Gus Malzahn's system? And finally, you have a guy that actually knows the system and is able to run it, beat the number one team in the country twice. I understand that's at home, and I understand that they had their postseason collapse. But I would make the argument that if you take Jared Stidham off of Auburn right now, my goodness, what are, what are we looking at for preseason expectations if all of a sudden you just found out that that shoulder injury was more serious than originally reported and that you know he's going to need a longer rehab? There are certain things that you would scare you as an Auburn fan, one of which being the inexperience that you have at the running back position. You lose a guy like Kerryon Johnson, and even Cam Petway, who people had high expectations for last year, now having to replace both of those guys and trying to figure out what that backfield is going to look like. You've already lost two receivers in the preseason to torn ACLs. You're figuring out what you're going to do at center because you lost two different guys. You lost in three to four offensive linemen, yeah. So, I mean, there are just questions abounding, and I think that defense is going to be really, really good, and especially really in the front good. seven. That's another thing. I, I mean, obviously, the quarterback position is the – that's what makes Malzahn's offense go. And maybe it is like kind of a little bit of like discrediting how good of a season Marshall had because after he leaves, then you see like – I mean, every everyone thought Jeremy, Jeremy Johnson, Johnson was going to be oh. like – oh, that's just so tough. And then the kid, I can't even remember the kid's name after that, who was like a four-star recruit, Elite 11 guy. Sean White. Yeah, that was bad. That was real bad. Bad. Real bad. But no, I mean, like, I definitely think it's key, but in terms of MVP for the whole conference, and I get, like, if we're using just the war statistic, that kind of makes it a little bit harder to argue for teams that aren't as good and haven't won as much because, you know, how much they have to fall. But, like, Drew Locke is pretty pretty important. He'd be a good candidate. Um, Benny Snell, 
uh, at, at Kentucky. I mean, like, people forget he had 1,300 yards last year. First team on SEC, yeah. Ninth, team, ninth year junior, too. I swear he's been there for, <laughs> forever. But, yeah, I mean, like, I would, I would think, I said earlier, that Joe Burrows, because he's... <laughs> we're going we're to figure out how, how to pronounce Joe Burrow. It's Joe not, Burrow. He's not, he's not plural yet. I mean, if he wins a few is games... Against, is he what? Is it Burrow? It's like ends with a U-G-H. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, Joe Burrow. Yeah, it's, it's Cajun. Come on, you got to know this. Maybe it's Pinot Noir. I don't know. Yeah. Pinot Grigio. Yeah, I think I just come back to this, this belief that Auburn is nowhere near the team that it is contending for a division title in the toughest division in college football without Stidham. And that's, you can believe that or not. Are we sure though? Because that defense is going to be one of the top defenses in the country. But man, who are and they, they always have a running back, and because of the way that system is. But they have, you see, they do typically have a running back, and that's not to discount Cam Martin, of course, with the K. But I have questions about that running game, and if they're really going to be able to figure out who is this person that we can trust to get 20, 25 carries out of. Part of that right. maybe stems from the fact that last year when Carryon Johnson went down, they didn't really have anyone to turn to. And the Auburn came kind of crashing down in the last two games of the season because of that. And if you're trying to look at this team just from a preseason perspective, things can happen during the season. And maybe Cam Martin turns into a star and he becomes an all-ICC back for all I know. But just in terms of a preseason outlook, man, I'd have a tough time saying that one player in the SEC is more important than Stidham. I mean, I wouldn't, but yes, yeah, fair. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. We'll watch that throughout the season. End is in a tie. Do we have a family feud today? No, we do not. That's good. We do not. Because you know what? Because next week, oh, we have two podcasts. We got to And next them. week, ooh, I'm real excited. I'm real excited. So we'll- um, Yeah, next week, it's going to be, we're going to have some good ones. I got to save them up, though, because we're doing, like, some interviews, interviews with, like, some of the fans. We're doing a lot of stuff next week. I can't wait. We are going to have all sorts of content uh, this this next week. We got to end today though with our our favorite segment, of course, at least my favorite segment. I think it's yours too. Um, it's it might mean too much, and one of these is just so perfectly fitting. A team that we don't talk a lot about is Kentucky, unless we're talking Kentucky basketball. Right, they fair. really don't get to the forefront of the conversation when it comes to SEC football. But Landon Collins decided to just kick a man while he was down. And, uh, <laughs> that, like out of nowhere, off the top rope. Out of nowhere. So uh, the Checkdown tweeted out this video of Kentucky's special teams doing this like pre-kickoff dance or something like that. It was it was kind of like a little you know remember the Titans type thing. Not not quite as choreographed, but one of those like it was pretty. It looked pretty cool. It's it, like what it Mississippi cool. State used to do to like. <laughs> like not, I, all I could think of was nothing will ever be as bad as like the late '90s Mississippi State dog pound. When they'd have the whole sideline with Fred Smoot like doing this like back and forth, and it was it was literally after they would turn on who let the dogs out over the loudspeakers. Like you're getting amped up to Baja men, you got some problems here. Uh, fun fact: Baja men call the Baja men because they are from the Bahamas. That's right. Um, <laughs> so uh, the checkdown tweeted out this video of Kentucky special teams doing the stance, and uh, the the tweet was: If you're the return team, are you intimidated by this? And so Landon Collins, as only he could, quote tweeted this and said, no, because it's Kentucky. Yeah, the worst part about that was then right after his mom clapped back at him and was like, Kentucky's better than any other school you ever went to, Landon. <laughs> I'm kidding. She did not do that. Oh, I, was, I believe everything you say. You can't use so much sarcasm. <laughs> yes. I don't know why I just will never forget his, his like, oh, announcement. She really said that? <laughs> it's believable. Yeah. She shut him up at that announcement video. No, I, it, was, it was out of nowhere because Landon Collins isn't even that – like, he doesn't get involved in that much college stuff. 
Like he had some issues last year with some of his teammates and kind of calling them out, but like Just I, not was, to I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, unnecessary. Like yeah, I, that's totally. when you know the competition is getting to a point where you know maybe maybe levels that you, you don't really need to throw shots at Kentucky. You're out. Like Kentucky you, was like a was like 14 year old freshman that just started working out and like was in the locker room by himself. Right. So he gave him like a little flex, and then out of nowhere, Landon just like shoved him into the mirror like idiot. Let him have his moment. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky doesn't need to have issues like that um, brought to the forefront. Getting, you know, viral attention is kind of yeah. unnecessary. Seems a little bit uh, unfair. Uh, Landon Collins, why don't you just, just take it easy, guy? Just, just <laughs> my, favorite is, uh, my favorite was yesterday a basketball recruit from the state of South Carolina committed to Alabama. And a former USC player went off on Twitter about oh, it. Oh, boy. Sendarius Thornwell. And I'm not going to get into Former all this Former South stuff. Carolina he, star. Sure. All yeah. right. Uh, so he was just going on and on and on about how upset he was uh, for the choices this kid made and how he was being lied to, the school he went to, and blah, 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 blah. But my favorite part was then Frank Martin got involved, who is one of my favorite people in the SEC. He's got an incredible background. He's a legend. He's awesome. Used to be a bouncer. Um, pretty sure he's still in the mob. Anyway, he said, hey, Sin City 803, which is his... His tag or his uh, handle. Well, yeah. Yeah. How does your ring look? Mine looks pretty good. And I clicked on it, and it was a ring for the Final Four, which, I mean, I didn't even know they gave out rings for, for like, fourth place. In swimming, you don't even get a ribbon for fourth place. They do things a little bit differently in college basketball. So there you go. Nothing like some good basketball trash talk in July. Am I right, boys? It's July. We need we need football to start right Next now. week is, I, I can't wait. We, we have stuff to talk about finally. We got a couple <laughs> five-star reviews to get to really, yeah. really quickly. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, throwing those in there on the 4th of July. Um, this first one is from D Hitter 37 uh, Subject line, Marler's Other Teams. This is good. Uh, listening to Marler talk about him being a Boston Red Sox and, and Bama fan, maybe try to guess his favorite other teams. Uh, Patriots, obviously. UConn women's basketball. And recently, he's gotten into the Warriors for some reason. Love the yeah. weird segments, office characters, 4th of July, barbecue. And keep up the good work, guys. He's, Huge Lakers right. fan. Yeah, you're big. No, no, he's big not. Big Laker fan. With I, I, he, I would. I always say I'm like the worst combination of fan ever with like Red Sox and Bama stuff. But to be fair, I had to suffer through like the Dubose years, and also for the Red Sox started buying all their talent. So there's that. Everybody feels real bad for you. This last one is from H L L L Dogs. Uh, subject line: God bless America and the SEC. Yeah. Really stellar performance for America's birthday, except for leaving Kirby out of the coach's barbecue. That's that on you, Marler. Um, <laughs> that was me. Thanks, thanks for the YouTube suggestions. Really got me fired up and patriotic. This is my first five-star review. I'd have done it earlier if it weren't for all of Chris's snide over cover two jabs. <laughs> that's, that's the first reference on this podcast to that. I know. Um, go dogs, and above else, God bless America. That's a great review. Woo! That's a great review. Love it. Can't hate on that. Any any review that hates on Marler and praises America, um, let's let's do it all for it. Yeah, thanks guys. Really appreciate re- appreciate the love. <laughs> leave us uh, leave us more five star reviews. Another thing that I want to start doing, uh, if you've got a good, it might mean too much. Oh leave yeah, us, leave us a little five star review and uh, and throw that in the the ratings and review sections on iTunes. We can read it or just send us send us a little message on Twitter. Send us a message uh, on Twitter uh, anywhere. Um, we we love getting those. We love reading your stories of that. Uh, we know that you all have great stories. Uh, yeah, that might mean too much. I want to try and get those out to the world. Let everybody just appreciate uh, the goodness <laughs> that is the SEC uh, a little bit more, especially during these uh, these tough months when we don't have football to talk about. We just got to talk about craziness. So. 
This is the last time, though, that we're going to be doing this from FaceTime from from different states. Next week, we're going to be in Atlanta doing multiple SDS podcast episodes. Tell a friend about oh, man. it. Man. Tell a friend about it. I just realized it. I'm going to have to figure out a way to build a fort on the move. No, I don't, I don't think I'm excited, it. too. Yeah, can't wait. You don't have to be build fun. a fort. I think we're going to be... We'll figure it out. out. We'll I'm going to build the fort. We'll figure it out. But yeah, remember, um, the one important thing, leave us, leave us a five-star review. Um, and remember that Marler doesn't know our signature catchphrase on this show. No, he still doesn't know it. In the Big Ten, where everybody's somebody. It might mean too much. One day you're going to get it. One day I will. Yeah, it's fine. I'll write it down. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week from Atlanta. <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> <laughs>